0: Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Joe. Good morning. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, today, we're going to be in John chapter six, verses one to fifteen. So, if you brought your Bibles or your fake Bible via phone this morning, go ahead and open up there. No judgment. I basically read my Bible on my phone. Uh, and while you're doing that, let me uh, just set the stage for what we're going to be looking at, what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, so today we're going to be looking at the, the, the miracle of, of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, now, now this, this miracle is, is pretty unique in that it is the only one outside of the resurrection of Jesus that, that we see in all four Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this miracle, and it's really the only one in there um, other than uh, the resurrection that we see in all four. Uh, and so it's unique in that way. It was also um, uh, uh, the miracle that was probably done the most publicly, uh, it, 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 the most people were there. It's the feeding of the 5,000, uh, but most of, of the, other, the other three Gospels say that that was just the count of the men. Um, and that didn't include the women and children. And so likely, we're looking at more of a crowd like fifteen to 20,000. So this is by far the most public miracle that Jesus performed uh, d- uh, during his time on earth. Uh, but at the same time, the same thing applies to this miracle, as has applied for the rest of the book of John as we've been going through, is that the miracle in and of itself is not the point. The point is to look through the miracle to the person of Jesus, and we learn through these miracles deeper truths about our Savior, deeper truths about our God. And so uh, today we're going to see the disciples faced with a problem that they cannot solve. How on earth do we feed all of these people? But then we see Jesus using this problem, using this situation, to show his disciples and then to show us a much deeper truth about who he is and why he actually came to this earth. And so as we move through today's passage, I want you to wrestle with how you look at Jesus. And specifically, how you look at Jesus and how that affects your day-to-day life. So how that affects you on a day-to-day basis. You know, we as, as Christians and as churches, I think when we miss the mark on Jesus... We, we, we take our big God and we try to reduce him. We take our, our, our big God and make him into something smaller than he actually is. And I think there's two primary ways that we do that that are going to be shown to us in this, this passage today. Um, and one of them is, is, is we are okay with trusting Jesus with our salvation, but not our day-to-day lives. We, are, we, we tell him, Jesus, thank you. For what you did, thank you for what you accomplished. Thank you for allowing me to go to heaven. Thank you for allowing me to avoid hell, which Jesus sounds horrible, by the way. But I don't really want you in my life. I, you know, I I want you to stay out of my business. I want you to stay out of my finances. I want you to stay out of my hurt. I want you to stay out of my pain. We tell him thank you for what you did, but you know what, Jesus, I'm not quite sure that I want you messing around in my daily life, right? And, 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 and when we, we, we do this, we're reducing Jesus to something that we get when we die. Very simply, he's like fire insurance. We, we're just reducing him to that. Conversely, I, I think sometimes we treat Jesus as like a cosmic vending machine. There to take care of all of our needs, all of our whims, all of our wants. He's just there to provide for us in the moment. You know, we, we think that, that if we... If we just have enough faith that that we can claim all of His promises and that we will prosper. you know, We say, Jesus, I know that you give good gifts, and so if I just have enough faith, I know I'll have that car that I really want. Or, or, Jesus, I know that you give good gifts, and so if I just have enough faith, I know I'll have that house that I want. Or here's my prayer. Jesus, I know that you give good gifts, and I I, I know if I just have enough faith that, that my kids will be healthy, they'll be well groomed, they'll be bathed occasionally, and that they'll be able to eat a meal like a civilized human being and not a pack of wolves. Yes. That's my prayer. But when we do that, we're reducing Jesus down into something that we can have right now. It, it's the finite, the temporal, the right now. We're reducing him into a vending machine. Now, the problem with both of these views is they share a tiny, tiny bit of truth of who Jesus is, but doesn't give us anywhere close to the real picture. Doesn't give us anywhere close to the whole picture. The dangerous thing, and I think we'll see this in the passage, is that Jesus will not allow himself to be put and to be reduced and to be put into boxes. The good news that we're going to find out today is that, yes, some of these things are true about Jesus, but the great news is he is so much more. He's so much bigger. He is much more than, than, than the people then and, and, and us now could have ever imagined he was. So let's go ahead and jump in. I'm, uh, I'm going to have three points today, and, and the first point is we got problems. Now, if you're a card-carrying Grammar Police member, please do not email me this week. I realize... That is not correct, but the point of the points is so you leave and you remember them, not so like the English language is accurately represented here. So just, just an FYI, I know I did graduate from Wayne State College. I am fully aware <laughs> that that is not correct. All right. Well, let's jump in now that we have that out of the way. John 6, uh, uh, 1 to 10. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? What are they for so many? Okay, so right out of the gate, we've got a problem. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they've been ministering for for quite a while now. They're tired. Uh, They they cross the sea, and they go up on this mountain. And the reason that they do is that so they can be together, so they can recuperate, um, just so they can kind of get away. Um, However, once they get up there, they lift up their eyes and see this huge crowd coming towards them. Like I said, probably not 5,000, but more like 10,000, 15,000, 20,000, when we add in all the women and children. And so they have this huge crowd coming towards them. Um, and there's a problem because none of them brought lunch. And so they're hungry. And I don't know uh, many, how many of you, have you been around someone that's been hungry? That, that's, it's, it's not a good place to be, right? Like we get hangry when, when we're there, right? We are not rational human beings when we're hungry. So, so Jesus and his disciples have, have 20,000 irrational, hungry human beings pressing in on them. Um, and so, clearly, to the disciples, this would have been outside of their ability to solve. When Jesus asked them what they would do to feed them, I, I can just imagine this pit in their stomach, like, what What do you mean, feed them? How, how on earth are we ever going to feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people? Jesus, what... Like, what are you even talking about? Like, we, there's no way. There's no way that we can do this. You know, in verse 5, we see that, that, that Jesus asked Philip the question of what we should do in order to test him. The purpose of that question was to test him. See, Jesus knew what he was going to do. He's God. He knew the end of this story. He knew what he was going to do. However, what he was testing, what he wanted to see is would the, would the disciples depend on themselves? Would they depend on their own resources? Would they depend on their own wisdom? Or would they look to Jesus? Would they depend on Jesus? Would they look to him to be their provider? So we see that Philip fails this test. Philip is, uh, is kind of a mathematician. So, so he steps out, and he looks at the crowd, and, and he's weighing this out, figuring this out, and putting it into his little abacus calculator. And, and he figures out that it's going to take about 200 denarii uh, to be able to feed these people even just a little bit. Now, a denarii is about a day's wage of a laborer at that time. And so this would be 200 days' worth of wages. So, so think about that. About eight months of wages just to feed these people a little bit like like not even enough to fill them up but just just a little bit essentially what he's done and what he's doing is he's bringing this to Jesus and he's saying you know what Jesus I've done the math I've weighed it out I've got this figured out there's no way Jesus there's no way that we can do this and then later in verse 8 we see that Andrew does a little bit better He's like, you know what, I'm going to go out in the crowd, I'm going to try to figure out what, what kind of resources we have here. There's like 20,000 people, surely they brought something. So he goes through the crowd and he realizes one boy brought lunch, just one, 20,000 people. We've got one lunch, this is not good news. And so he brings this to Jesus and, and, and they open up this little kid's brown bag and they look in there and there's, there's five little crackers and two salted sardines. Uh, the 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 loaves that that the Bible's talking about here, the barley loaves, they'd have been small, unleavened, uh, just little uh, biscuit sort of things. It, clearly, this was a meal for one person, and so really, what we see here is they've got nothing. They they really they really don't have anything to even come close to to creating a dent um, in in what's going on here, and so. I wonder, City Light, as as we look at this and see the predicament that the disciples are in and and, and see what they actually have at their their own resources, have you ever been confronted with a problem that's bigger than you? Have you ever been in a position where it was painfully obvious that in and of yourself you really lack the resources to get out of that? And then, can I just make a confession to you that I feel like this pretty much all the time? I, uh, I had not and was not created to be a very responsible or organized human being. Somehow, a few years ago, I found a girl and convinced her to marry me. And then after we got married, these kids started coming from, (laughs) I still don't know where. And, and then I have this, this job and, and not that I just have this job, but they, like, expect me to do things. Like, they want me to be responsible. And let me just tell you of where my life is right now. Um, I meet, you know, we kind of have this, this, like, level where, where our, our abilities meet our situation. I meet that every morning when my alarm goes off. I'm just, boom, right there. Every single morning, I am maxed out at max capacity. Um, in fact, I, I think it is a small miracle that I'm standing up here on stage. I am fully clothed. I've got all my buttons; they are buttoned. My wife did have to like do the switch thing. You know how the little kids get it all messed up. Um, and my shoes are tied. Like this is a good thing, right? But but that isn't that. Isn't that just the reality of life, though? Like it, problems, they're there. Life brings problems. And and don't get me wrong; there are many beautiful and amazing. Things about life. But if we're also being honest, there are also a ton of problems. So I wonder sometimes, do you just lay in your bed at night and and you get to to thinking to yourself and you're like, you know what? I think today would have gone a lot better had I just stayed right here, like not even got up, not even tried that day, right? Life's hard. It, it, It just comes. This is this is not a surprise to us. And, and, and I'm not sure exactly what this looks for you right now. Maybe it's a, a, a diagnosis with no hope of healing. Maybe it's a, a, a wayward child or a divorce. Maybe you've come to the, the end of the month over and over and over again and seen that your bills and your days outnumber your money at the end of the month. Maybe, maybe you've noticed that, that, that the harder you try, you're in this position where the harder you try it seems like the worst things get. The the harder you grip, the, the less actual hold that you have on your life. You see, the reality of the world that we live in, the fallen world, is that we have more problems than we do answers. We have just as much suffering as we do healing. We are faced over and over again, if we're being honest, with how out of control we actually are, and how limited we actually are. You see... The tension in this part of the passage, I don't think, is that problems will come. I think we know that. I, I don't think you can live very long in this world and, and, and tell yourself that you have control for very long. But I, I think the tension is not if we have problems, but when we do, where are we going to look when those problems come? Remember that, that verse 6 said that Jesus asked Philip that question, how are we to feed these people to test him? Well, the reality is, is that Jesus tests us what us as well, right? He tests our faith. And, and, and when Jesus tests us, he's not looking at us saying, you know what, when I test you, I want to see if you can pull yourselves up by your bootstraps and figure this thing out. That is not what he's doing when he tests us. When he tests us, he's asking us a very simple question. Are you going to look to me? Are you going to depend on me? Or are you going to depend on your own wisdom, your own resources, your own ideas of how to get through this situation. And so, what we really start to realize is that the problem in our problems are not the problem itself, but where we're going to for the answers. Let me say that again the problem in our problems is not the problem itself, but where are we going to get the answers. And can we also talk about this for a second? When, when Have you ever been in the position where, where you've had like a, a tough time or, or a problem or something going on, and someone, well-meaning, but they come up to you and they say something like this, Hey, well, you know what? Let's just praise God that he does not give us more than we can handle. And then you slap them, and then you ask them if they want to restate what they're... But no, we've, I, I've said this, so tons of grace for us in this. But, but can we just, as, as a church and as a people, can we just repent of this right now? Because it's not true. It's not true. It's not helpful. And I would even say it's anti-biblical. Uh, what we're wrongly quoting there is from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where Paul says that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. But the reality is, is that God allows us to, be, to experience way more that we can handle so that we'll look to him. Over and over in the Bible, we see God allowing his people to go th- through these things that are well beyond their abilities, that are well beyond their, their ways to be able to figure things out. And the reason he does that is so that they will hit their knees and notice their need for him. By God's grace, he allows all of us to go through things that are way more than we can handle. And he knows that when this happens, we're going to go searching. And no matter what rock we look under to, to solve our problem or what person we know to solve our problem, he knows that he is the only one that can actually meet all of our needs. And he knows that it will show us our need of him. And that's what we're going to find out next. So point one is we got problems. Point two is we got a provider. So look with me now at at, uh, verses 10 to 13. Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. And So let's look at what Jesus does here. He miraculously moves in and provides for these people. Really, out of nothing, he creates enough food to completely fill the 10, 15, 20,000 people who are there and have baskets left over. There's abundance left over. But here's the thing. I don't think that's the main point of this passage. I don't think the miracle itself is the main point of this passage. I want to focus in here on, on, on something else. So remember... There's thousands of hungry people. These are real moms, real dads, real kids moving towards Jesus. Thousands and thousands of hungry people. They're tired. They're hangry. They're hungry. They're irritated. Jesus and his disciples are are tired. They're hungry. They're wanting to rest. And, and, and the easy thing to do in this situation would have been to just tell the people, hey, go into the towns, find something to eat. In fact, this is not a difficult problem to figure out because there's towns around, they are out in the wilderness, but, but these people can go, right, to these towns and figure something out. It, that would have been the easy thing to do. But, but look what Jesus did in verse 10. He told the disciples to tell the people to sit down. Now, I'm sure... For the disciples, this was probably a very discouraging and confusing and frustrating thing for Jesus to have told them to do. Like I said, they're tired. They're just thinking, Jesus, no. What? Tell them to go home. Tell them to come back tomorrow. Tell them to do anything but to stay here? What do you mean sit down? What, what on earth are we going to do? You know, it, It's kind of like uh, when your kids come home from college for the weekend by Sunday night you're just thinking to yourself, oh my goodness, I am so tired. There is no food left in any of my cupboards. I don't know where you need to go. You just need to not be here right now. I love you. I will see you at Thanksgiving, but honestly, leave. Get, get out of here, right? This is the feeling that the, that the disciples have at this point, but look at Jesus. What does he do? He has compassion, On these people. He doesn't say, you know what, you guys are irresponsible. You should have known when you came here. You needed to bring food. But he says, you know what, I'm going to draw near to you. I'm going to come to you. You have nothing. I'm going to give you something. Instead of walking away, Jesus draws near to his people, near to his people, and, and just provides miraculously for them. Now I think sometimes we think of Jesus as, as some kind of like distant God or, or like a hands-off Savior. Like he's this dude in heaven that's just kind of indifferently watching us, looking at us. But, but the reality of this and, and what we see here is that we actually have a God that cares about our daily lives. We actually have a God that, that draws near to us when we're tired. That draws near to us when we have needs. That draws near to us when, when really he should just push away and push against us. He is a God that cares about every little single part of our life. And, and, and see here, the bread that, that he provides here in this story, the barley loaves, I think for us it can be anything. It can be anything, physical, emotional, mental, any sort of need that we might have. Jesus has the power to meet those. He has the ability to meet every need that we would ever have. Now, City Light, isn't this this good news? Isn't this good news for those of us who might think that we can trust him for our salvation, but we're not quite sure if we can trust him for our daily lives, to be a provider for us? And and, and some of us in this room have learned that we can, in fact, trust Jesus with our salvation, but we still need to learn that we can trust him with our day-to-day Lives everything. And if this is you today, if this is you, this passage should not bring you to guilt. It should not bring you to to feel bad about that. It should not bring you to any sort of guilt. In fact, from the moment that we surrender our lives to Jesus, from the moment that we hit our knees and say, you are our God, from that moment forward, is until we die or he comes back and we meet him again we are learning to surrender more and more and more of lives to him and give him more and more control over our daily lives so when we read this passage when we see this miracle if we're not trusting Jesus with our daily lives it should not bring guilt it should bring hope when we see this it should bring us hope because we actually see that we have a God that cares for us, cares about, our lives for, cares about our lives here on earth, and then he has the power to provide for all of our needs. And as I was wrestling with this this week, um, I was looking for a time that, that Jesus had miraculously provided for me when I was in desperate need. Um, and I clearly saw that, that he was my provider in every area, but what I was looking for is this fishes and loaves type of situation. Right, and I realized as I was looking at that that, that you know I've I've had little and, and I've had a little bit more, uh, but I've never really been in that position of, of desperation, you know, where 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 I'm looking for for uh, when I come home and my cupboards are empty, you know, Jesus has filled them for me, or you know I come home and and on the table is a hot meal that I didn't cook is just sitting there, ready to go, um, but then I realized that I was missing the point. It's not about the miracle. It's not about the way things have been provided, but about the provider itself. Just because nothing had, out of thin air miraculously, as far as I know, been provided for me does not make Jesus any less of my provider. You know, I've asked for things, and he said no. I've asked for things, and he said yes. He doesn't give us everything we want, but he cares about us. He loves us, and he provides for everything that we need, and he wants us to bring every little one of our daily monotonous concerns straight to him. So you may be sitting there this morning just recalling times that Jesus has tangibly and miraculously provided for your needs, which is awesome. And, and what that should do is that should push you to praise and worship your provider. But maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, you know what? I've had good health. Um, I, I've had a decent job that, that's been able to provide for our family. We've been able to live pretty well, which is awesome. And you know what that should do? That should praise you, push you to praise and worship your provider. You see, see like this is not about the provision. It's about the provider. So this, uh, this could be the point where we stop, right? This could be the point we could bring the choir back up. we could probably sing some songs about this, right? We're feeling pretty good. Jesus is our provider. He has the power and the ability pr- to provide for us. So we're feeling really, really good. However, Jesus does not stop here. He has got so much more to show us. Um, and, and, and the truth is, is that yes, we do have a provider that takes care of our physical needs. We do. But the the great news is, is that he doesn't stop there. He shows us through this passage that he is so much more. He's so much more than what we see here through this miracle. And so point three is we got so much more. Look with me at verses 14 and 15. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And so the crowd here recognizes something right away, and it's very important, and they are actually correct. They say, they say this is the prophet this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Now, uh, this comes directly from the Old Testament, from Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, where Moses is, is uh, telling the people that God will raise a prophet like himself from among them. Essentially, this is, uh, the people are saying that this is our Messiah. This, this prophecy is pointing to a Messiah, and the people are rightfully putting Jesus in as that person. He is is the Messiah. He is the one that we've been waiting for. He is the one that that we, you know, couldn't allow ourselves to to believe that he would actually come. Now, I want us to see this, and I want us to feel this. This is an amazing, amazing revelation for these people. The fact that, that they just saw this Jesus last chapter, uh, heal people from physical diseases and sicknesses, and now they see him here, and, and he's providing for their physical needs, this would have been an amazing revelation for them. Uh, the, the time that they were in, there, there's no health care or anything like that. If, if you got sick, you had two options. You lay down, and then you get better, and you get back up, or you lay down, and you die. That's, that's it. That, those were your two options. There's no, no antibiotics, no Tylenol. Uh, the cutting edge, like brain surgeon doctors of the day, what they did was that like drain blood out of your body and hope that that worked. And so, to see that there was someone that could heal their physical ailments would have been amazing. Also, uh, getting food was a significant struggle for these people in this day. There was no farm machinery. There was there was nothing to really help them get their food. In fact. Most of their lives was wholly and fully devoted to getting their food just for that, that time. They, they didn't really have much that could preserve food or do anything like that. This was a struggle. This was a labor. And so they have this Jesus, this man, standing right in front of them. And what can he do? He can take their two top problems and wipe them off the face of the earth. He can heal their sicknesses, heal their disease, and feed them. For them, this would have been amazing. They're saying, this is the Messiah. This is the one that God promised. Let's make him our king right Now, they would have been pumped up. They would have been ready to rock and roll. However, just as Jesus does, he has other plans. We see in verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You see, the people wanted to make him their physical and political right there, right then, Messiah. Now, if this was the will of God, if, if he was coming to, to establish his kingdom right there, right then, this would have been the time when the campaign took off. This would have been the time where, where they really gathered momentum and they really got things going and things really, really took off. He had thousands of people right there ready to make him their king. No doubt, thousands upon thousands more, that once they saw what Jesus could do, they would have been right on that bandwagon. They would have been ready. They wanted to make him their king right then and there. But we see that Jesus withdraws. Why did he do that? They call him a king. Is he not, is he not a king? Let's look at Jesus' words later in the book of John for the answer to that question. Chapter 8, verses 36. It'll be on the screen. This is after Jesus gets handed over to Pilate. And Pilate asks him, "'Are you not king of the Jews?' Jesus answered, "'My kingdom is not of this world.'" If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus is a king. He is. He calls himself a king. But here's the thing. He is not the king of this world, but the king of eternity. The people want to make him a political king, but he's withdrawing because that is not the will of God. Jesus wasn't retreating because he wasn't a king. He was retreating because he was a much bigger king than they could ever have imagined. He wasn't going to be a king that simply dealt with the symptoms of the problem, but he was going to go after the roots of the problem, which is sin. And City Light, we, we cannot miss this. I think this is the, the whole thrust and the whole point of this passage right here. Is Jesus is our provider. He is but he is so much more than that. This is good news upon good news upon good news. Uh, The people are focused about what he can do for them now, but he's focused on what he can do for us for eternity. They're focused on the temporal finite. He is focused on eternity. You see, when we sinned, we brought death into the world and created a problem that we could not solve ourselves. With death came laboring for food, came scarcity, came sickness, came disease. Every bad thing in this world, every problem in this world is here because of sin. Not in some weird karma way where if like you yell at your wife, you're going to have flu next week, but, but more in a when man fell, when we sinned, the whole world paid the price. All of these things that Jesus is healing And providing for in our physical needs is just a shadow pointing to the real problem, which is sin and death. He is our savior from that sin, from that death, and from Satan. He came to accomplish a much bigger task than heal our physical sickness and provide for our physical needs. You see, this is the the fundamental problem with the vending machine God or the prosperity gospel. When, when we concern ourselves simply with the gifts of Jesus, we are focusing in on the finite and temporal things and not focusing on the eternal Jesus. And so the problem is, is when we're focused in on that simple one thing of what he can bring us, when God in his infinite sovereignty tells us no to something that we want or something that we think we need, our whole concept of who God is and who we are breaks apart and falls down but when we make Jesus our king his kingdom is so much better because it's not just focused on the here and now it is focused on eternity Jesus didn't come to fill our stomachs and leave he came that we may never hunger again for all of eternity City Light, this Jesus is a king that is complete in every way he came to give and to not take, not just to bear our problems, but to snuff them out by the root once and for all. He is the only one worthy to give our lives to. And so let me close with this. If you're in here today, and, and, and you are not a follower of Christ, if you have never bowed your knee, if you have never told him, you are my king, please take my life. You are the one who can run my life way better than I can. Would today be that day? In John 6, 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. See, you can trust him for everything, but it starts with faith and very simply believing that he is, in fact, God. You see, our problem's are a heck, of a, a heck of a lot worse than we think. But the solution is a lot simpler than we think because Jesus has already won the battle. So if this is you today, we would love to talk to you. There are going to be people and pastors in the back that would love to pray with you and that would love to talk to you about what surrendering your life to Jesus looks like. And if you are a follower of Christ, I pray that today's passage would encourage you like I said, when, when we come to faith in Christ, it, it starts a march and a walk for the rest of our lives until we meet him, where we are learning to trust him more and trust ourselves less. And so I pray that, that, that for, for those of you who are followers of Christ, that, that you would focus in and say, where am I trusting myself where am I trusting in my own wisdom? Where am I trusting in, in, in myself to get myself out of my problems? And where can I, can I trust Jesus more? The best thing for us, the very best thing for us, is to trust ourselves less and to trust him more. Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you are our provider. You are a good God that gives good, good gifts. But Jesus, I thank you that you don't stop there. Lord, you are not simply concerned about our finite temporal needs, but you came that we might have eternal life and that life might start now. So Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you that you do not fit in our boxes and that you are a worthy king to trust our lives to. In Jesus' name, amen.